Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Update. I'm your host, Will Walker, and joining me 1,500 miles away, except I'm the one out of town, it's John Kraft. How's it going, John? Uh, it's, it's, it's going, uh, uh, unlike the national narrative, I actually do think we're fine in the West, but basically everything else about the Grizzlies, I don't know if we are fine. So I'm in Los Angeles. I am going to the Clippers game tomorrow night. We're recording on Saturday morning. Last night I was watching the Denver Nuggets against the Memphis Grizzlies and we were planning on jumping on the pod this morning, and talking about basketball. And very early in the morning, uh, I don't know about you, John, uh, but I got an Instagram live alert, and luckily it didn't wake me up, but I did check back in this morning at what that was, because I saw it was John Morant, and it was not good. Um, since we have both been up, the, there hasn't been actual national reporting that has picked this up besides the blogs but John Morant was on Instagram live at at a club last night assuming it was in LA and he there's a gun that he flashed on the screen very briefly um he appeared to be intoxicated with friends at a club um and the the story around all of this is um nearing a concerning place and we are going to try and unpack all of this at the beginning of the pod and I would know we were we were joking before the podcast that the week didn't update going into the season and throughout most of the season the purpose of it has been to really unpack the grizzly season on a game by game basis and it's really interesting that the last two to three weeks we have been dealing with stories mostly off the court. We are both yearning to talk about these basketball games again, but um, some things just transcend that, and we're going to get to the game soon. But, John, I'll just let's just start as an intro. What did you think after you saw that this morning, and where are you on the total job uh, – narrative for the last few weeks at this point. <laughs> That's just, I mean, I, where to begin? Uh, I think, so I, I feel like, you know, it's an interesting, the timing of our podcast and who knows by the time um, people are listening to this, things might be very dated because there's other stuff that comes out in all sorts of different ways. But, um, you know, I, I'm somebody who's probably uh, will admit confirmation bias. Like I am a fan uh, I tend to be someone who uh, is very kind of loyal and defends, uh, you know, the teams and the, the players I cheer for. So I try to catch myself with that. And, and I'll say that I, you know, I think going, uh, going in before this morning, you know, we were going to talk about the jaw off court stuff because obviously there was a big article in the Washington Post uh, this week that came out about, about a story that we talked about a long time ago uh, that was concerning, but, you know, um, was in the past and, um, and kind of, you know, for me, uh, I'm not like, I was not like, I I'm concerned, you know, because it's worrisome, but it was not the kind of think piece leads first take leads PTI type stuff, uh, that I thought it was, 
Um, I feel like it was a lot of lawyers and leaking, and we can get into all that stuff. But this morning, uh, kind of, again, the problem is when something like this morning happens and an unwise sort of decision, it feels like, to make public uh, what you probably should have kept private, um, then it begins to, like, there's just a lot of smoke. And so when there's a lot of smoke, you start to think there's fire. And looking back at the thing at the Washington Post article, I could very much say, like, look, all the this is very much a sourced from a family who is suing John Morant and his family. They are leaking salacious details. You know, they're you know, it's one side of the story getting reported and then the other side of the story being like the police didn't do anything didn't find any, you know, didn't corroborate any of the story and John's family deny everything. And so, but you get a ton of paragraphs of stuff happening that's very, you know, whether it be laser pointers with the Pacers story, whether it be Jock coming out with a gun in his waistband. Um, but, you know, and not to mention the fact you get like an actual Washington Post reporter just tweeting uh, something that contradicts her own article that goes viral for an hour before her deleting it. And like I said, this is all the stuff I think we would have gotten into this morning, uh, you know, and kind of saying like this stuff's bad, John needs to be wiser. Uh, but then when you put out on Instagram sort of the, the LA, <laughs> your LA nightlife, which, you know, a lot of NBA players do, um, you know, not that I approve of all those things, but you don't make it – making it public is weird. And, and it's and that's why, like, at the time of this recording, I don't know if we're about to get a hungover jaw waking up in a few hours saying that was a mistake. It was supposed to be private. Didn't mean to make it public. Um, what happened? I don't know. But it's, but it's very concerning because uh, it goes back to uh, – and that's why I said that there's just so many different layers to this. But it goes back to this week – um, a couple different podcasts mentioned the fact that the most surprising thing about the NBA this year is how the Grizzlies and Jaw have gone from this lovable uh, team, everybody's favorite second team, to a team that is hated, to a team that is um, uh, that people are constantly demeaning or dismissing. Uh, that seems to just be kind of like a whipping boy in a sense. I don't know. I mean, it's just like it's a weird sent uh that the change that the grizzlies have made uh in public perception and this just continues that and like to the point where now it's like like i'm wondering if the today show good morning america you know msnbc fox news cnn they're going to start covering jaw and this instagram post the next 24 48 hours and it's become this big deal uh you know and that's the concern because then just the narrative continues to flow yeah and to me, the first thing that I thought of after digesting the the post along with everything else that has gone on in the last month with Ja from a PR perspective, it just – I mean the player himself reminds me of Allen Iverson, but now it's taking on an additional layer in that direction where Iverson was this electric player on the court but then he also has had this cultural piece off the court as well that he brought to the game. And obviously the big difference between Iverson and Ja is that they didn't have the same type of upbringing. Um, and Ja, I mean, he's all about family. You look back at 
where he, um, you know, was training, small town, South Carolina, um, went to a small school, then was picked number two overall by a small market team and has just absolutely exploded onto the scene. And it seems to be kind of, I mean, we can't, we do not know John Morant and we don't know what his inner circle um, looks like right now on the surface, what's being reported and the things that have gone on, notably the Pacers thing has just made it seem like he needs to make wiser choices in that area. But it does have this feeling of the the hype, um, the just the, the notoriety. He is he's taking on an approach that seems to be I'm getting bad press, but look at my success despite that bad press, and so I'm all I'm in a roundabout way going to lean into that. And you might not like the image, but I don't care what you think. This is me. This is, um, I can do what I want. And on the same day that the, basically the same weekend that a Washington Post article um, that alleges some new things comes out, I launched this giant campaign with Powerade. And a week ago, I was the athlete featured in Salt Lake City at the NBA All-Star Weekend. Like, I am invincible. And to me, this Instagram post is uh, another brick on that where he's pushing pushing the envelope that I I just I don't see the upside. And again, like he's it's not this strategic thing. Like if Iverson, if we had smartphones at that time, like I feel like a lot of NBA players would run into the same issues that Jaws running into right now. And um, I, I I think the there's something weird going on in his in his subconscious and in his circle right now where he i mean obviously he needs a better strategic direction and he needs to be safer because this isn't going to end well like he's and and has he done anything illegal i i mean having i don't know what i don't know the gun laws i don't know what is going on there like he might not have that he he probably shouldn't have that in a club and that probably is some legal issues, but overall, has he been um, convicted of anything yet? No. Um, is there is there reason for concern? Of course, because he continues to toe the line, and I think that's what most people are concerned about. Um, I mean, John, how, how do we, I mean, how do you go about processing, processing this in his, in this specific phase of his career right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm, um, uh, I'm somebody who my <clears throat> my day job is working uh, with uh, students, with high school and college students, um, most of my life, and so in some ways it's like I'm thinking about um, you know 22, 23 year olds, and uh, you know one there's a lot of people messaging me upset about Jaws behavior right now, which you know I'm not, uh, which I'm laughing because. I know how a lot of them and, and how a lot of my friends and my peers were when they were 22, 23. Uh, of course, none of us, you know, put it on Instagram live and none of us are worth 250, $300 million. And, and, and that's like the big issue is that, you know, he's somebody who is the super stardom and, you know, it's, it's interesting. He's thinking about it because I, I do think, you know, obviously I get very wary of comparing anybody to Jordan 
um, or Kobe or, or other people. But I mean, I do think that he has had that kind of rise um, in a way. I mean, he is, I mean, as you look and people talk about it, if you look at the, the top stars in the league, he is probably the top, uh, you know, especially under 30, the top star that's American. You know, that all the other really big players right now in the NBA are, are international. And and he's really becoming that, that next superstar, um, at least. And again, I'm not talking, you know, people get mad. I'm not talking about accomplishments. I'm just talking about marketing, endorsements, worth, all those sorts of things. You know, and unlike LeBron, who I think has really handled, that's like one of the most admirable things about LeBron is he uh, handled fame. You know, I mean, I... You know, I think there's some very funny things about the way he goes about things and some drama stuff that make me roll my eyes. But he's not had any moments like this. Uh, but at the same time, LeBron, since he was like 15 or 16, was going to be the next thing. And so he had a lot of time to process this as a very young person. Ja was not recruited. Ja was, I mean, Ja went from playing at a Murray State to, to what he is now. And, and it's crazy. Like even somebody like Steph Curry, who kind of similarly had more humble beginnings, like he struggled in the league for a while. Like he kind of was sort of, but jaw has come in the league and immediately took it by storm, immediately gone viral and immediately gotten famous. And I think we were asking on this podcast for the last year, you know, is, when is he going to deal with that? And you could tell at the all-star game, he multiple times in different interviews in the all-star game talked about like, you know, um, I just can't go to the mall anymore. I can't go to the, the movies. I can't, like, I can't just do regular people's stuff and I miss that. And so maybe a lot of that is what this is about too. I mean, I know for me, if if I was 23 and all of a sudden worth all the money the jaw is and that I saw the, the mainstream media, the kind of, and just sort of the social media, just the infrastructure that is fame and media today, like in my opinion – slandering me for a month or two, going after me, uh, putting all these stories out that shaped me in the worst light. I mean, there's this sense where you just want to be like, you know, screw it, F it. I'm like, I'm going to do whatever. And that's what I'm wondering what this is. Uh, This morning with putting that on Instagram live, this kind of like, well, I'm just going to be myself, kind of what you were talking about. The way Iverson was, but again, Iverson didn't have a smartphone. <laughs> he didn't, you know, and so people didn't see a lot of the behavior. I mean, you can tell with somebody like, like a James Harden used to do some of this kind of stuff and he quickly stopped as the, with the endorsement stuff that was coming in. And you don't, you, you hear jokes, lots of jokes, but you don't see that stuff publicly anymore. Um, and so all those things, you know, I mean, so to me, there's a part where I feel like there's going to be a massive overreaction by everybody to a video where he was doing some stuff I, I don't love. But that a lot of 23-year-old people do, a lot of 23-year-old NBA players especially do. Um, and like you were saying, probably nothing illegal. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, if you want middle America to be buying your shoes and, you know, to become – and for the Grizzlies to be kind of this lovable team, well, that's just not where – you know, that, th- th- these things aren't going to help that. And I think just for him personally, it just uh, it's not just the lack of wisdom, but it's when you start to make decisions that seem erratic or impulsive, you start to worry what's what what is you know what are the other shoes that are going to drop? I guess. Yeah, and it's 
it's an old age old saying, but you know, sports as as every coach, every middle school and high school coach has said, you know, sports don't build character, sports reveal character, and I I feel that a, a lot of other uh, things can be like that as well, notably money, notably fame, and I think at the same time, I don't I don't believe that this is who Ja is based on all of the the track record that we have with him in our lives for the last however many years. Um, I know personally I've been following him since, you know, before the draft in 2018. And so the last five years, you know, this, this last month seems like a blip in that. And, um, but at the same time, I think we, I personally would want to see some sort of whether, I don't know if it's a statement. I don't know if uh, it's a press conference but something that suggests that this isn't, you know, Ja saying this isn't who I am, this was a mistake, and um, and just leaving it, you know, at that and moving on, because I'm I'm just worried that it will turn into something as he's figuring who out who he is right now with this new fame, with this new wealth, mm-hmm. um, as you know, a lot of people do have to go through that. You look at other other stars in different industries and when you get that famous that young that fast it tends to not go well but the difference is how do you manage the mistakes along the way and I am going to be interested how his team handles it without necessarily compromising who he is like like Jenkins talks about Dylan Brooks which we'll get into this Dylan story that came out on ESPN recently you have to you can't you can't completely shut off the crazy and still get the same Dylan on the court. And the same thing with Ja, you don't want to you don't want to completely cut him off from society. Uh, that's not going to go well. You have to allow space for him to be Ja because that's what made him great in the first place is how right. expressive, how fun he is. And yet, what are the proper boundaries and safeguards that I think it has to be a jaw decision? It can't be in anybody else because at, at that stage, you, the, your circle, and he already had a tight circle, but I'll, I don't exactly know, you know, I'm pretty suspect of maybe some of the, some of the people in the circle right now, but it has to be a jaw decision on my career. There's too much at stake right now. We're like, Contract, yeah, that's guaranteed in the NBA. But you look at a bunch of players who are at Jaws level. The generational wealth comes from the endorsements. And part of the endorsements has to do with do these brands want to bet on you? And Jaw has to become a guy that everybody can bet on. And he doesn't have to be perfect. I think we all want him to be perfect because it's just, I mean, I don't know. I want somebody that like kids can look up to and, and yeah. feel confident in that. But at the same time, you can't expect you can't um, put all your eggs in that basket all the time. And but at the same, there is a proper expectation, and I just am nervous at this point for him. And um, and I just hope that he makes that decision soon to to change some things around because this is obviously not headed in a direction that will end well for him. No, definitely. I mean, I you know, and that's I mean, and honestly, I mean. Seeing, you know, I mean, and people laugh. I mean, I, I do think that like the, the NBA media gets a little overcarried over, carried out, you know, uh, carried away 
But like you know, they're the ones who are going to decide whether they want to make them second or third all team, you know, all NBA this year, and make you know, and so like they also determine a lot of money that uh, that yeah. he might make this year or not. Um, because I do think that some of them, the off court stuff, is going to um, play, you know, which I don't, you know, I'm somebody who don't does not think that should. But they will, I think, but I think they maybe rightly will argue that some of this stuff has been a distraction to the team and our play, you know, has not been as good the last four or five weeks as it was earlier when all this stuff wasn't happening. Um, You know, but, but it is, but you're right though, in the sense that like, you know, what makes jaw great on a basketball court, you know, uh, and they talk about this, like what makes Michael Jordan great on a basketball court makes him a very flawed human being. Uh, when it comes to like wanting to be in a relationship with him, uh, you know, wanting to be in his family and, and I don't want that for job because I think jaw loves his family, but I do think that there's a sense of him being the, the chip on the shoulder underdog, uh, him sticking up for his teammates, which I think makes his team love him is the same impulse that makes him go and talk to a, you know, go and intimidate a lowly mall security guard, uh, an employee, because his mom says that, you know, he was mean to her. And, you know, and so there's like that that aspect that we're like, why are you going to Wolf Chase and intimidating, you know, some minimum wage finish line employee? Yeah. Uh, because that's just, it just seems mean. I mean, it seems like the elite person bullying uh, someone, you know, but, but that's the guy who it's like, well, you went after my mom and so now I'm going to go after you that like makes him a beloved teammate. And so it's just, it's a like, and, and those are the things, but I will say, I mean, one of the reasons that we love jaw, one of the reasons we loved the Grizzlies last year was the joy and fun they seem to be having. And I know uh, that jaw is not playing with joy and not having fun like he was. Although, you know, I mean, after the Rockets game, it was kind of this like exciting thing to see jaw, you know, get into an interview again, uh, be kind of goofy and fun but uh but but it is you know it's a it is something the to keep watching and um obviously you know i mean i just i just think the media cycle is going to be crazy on this for the next day or two it that to the point to where he's might i don't know it feels like he's going to have to say something um or somebody's going to force him to because i feel like uh this is going to get out of control uh pretty quick because i i just you already see it breaking over into the mainstream in the wrong way um, for him. And, and, and that's the thing. And it's what, you know, what you were talking about is what you don't want is you don't want, uh, kids, 10, 11 year old kids coming and asking their parents, what's going on with jaw? You know, why are people talking about a video with him and a gun and strippers? Uh, you know, that, that, that is, you know, that is like you were saying, not probably illegal, but it's not good for the brand. Yeah. And I also think that if you just, I mean, Take it from the human side. I mean, we've we've all been through stuff that you kind of have to hit a certain bottom to to really figure out. Yeah, I need to change, and I don't know when that's going to happen for Job. My like hope is that it it happens with something maybe like this, which is like I hope that this is the extent. That's that's my because right. it's. Further, one step further than this is you're you're looking at some significant issues um, 
and you're bringing in not only like it's it's less of the PR team's job and it's more of the legal team's job at that point, and that's where you don't want to get. And so I'm really hoping that this is finally the wake up call. And I know that like mm-hmm. I was gonna say that about the Washington Post story before this Instagram. Like I was I was right. hoping that's the wake up call. Yeah, and I don't know when it's gonna happen for him. No. I just hope that it's very soon. And if we're connecting it to the basketball, I don't think it helps that it was after a loss in Denver. Right. Like I think it's, it's, I mean, it's, let's be honest with ourselves. Like winning is the antidote for a lot of the right. edge of the narrative. Like the, mm-hmm. I think that the, the P the media is going to have an edge because it was after a loss. It's amidst a month when the Grizzlies have taken a step back and have started to play less like themselves early in the season and more like a team that's figuring themselves out again. And I think that part of winning is going to be Ja playing freely and Ja playing with joy and everybody on the team kind of coming together and saying, listen, there's been a lot of noise this season. Let's, Let's shut ourselves in. We're about to enter the stretch run. We have to lock in. And so I'm, I'm, I'm also worried about the distraction uh, that how it relates to on the court. And I think that's something to watch. And I, I think notably we are recording right now at like 1030 a.m. Um, yeah. Saturday morning. And there could be something that comes out soon and a statement that gets put out. And so if there is, by the time you're listening to this, you know, we haven't necessarily seen it. But um, I'm, I'm like you said, I'm hoping there is. Right. Like, I mean, I think I mean, that's so you know, to kind of like summarize, like, uh, I, I think if you go online, the, the reaction to me is way overboard. Uh, and I think, but to me, I think you have to be concerned. I think you can't just like, I can't just put my head in the sand. I, and I think the, the, the thought that Jaws very aware that there is a family, um, you know, of, of a young man, 17, 18 year old man that he got into a physical altercation with this summer that is trying to, that is like, has a lawsuit against them and is very obviously going to multiple publications and hiring detectives to find things like this Wolf Chase story that came out. Uh, and like, I just, the, the thought that the, that you're, and you're not paying them off because you and your family are saying none of this stuff happened. And yet I'll tell you, uh, that family's lawyers, they are, they're they're going to a nice lunch today. They are celebrating at what just happened, and that's the kind of stuff that that which makes it just all the more confusing. Um, and you know, and, and so to summarize, I don't like it's 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 all these things together that are concerning, and that's you know, kind of what we were talking about. Like we, you know, <laughs> the two of us like talking about uh, like podcasting, not to deal with this stuff. Like we just want to talk about the basketball, and it's been a lot. It's been a rough five, six weeks of not really getting to talk about the basketball, and um, so I'm just yeah. hoping that's you know. And so because I think I, I don't want people think I don't. I don't want it. We're like two people freaking out about uh, you know about sort of a more kind of like of Jaws lifestyle or something like that. It's more. It's it's more concern for the decision making he's he has, and just it just continuing to add up. So. Yeah. Um, fi- final point on this, and then we'll move on. I I think you have to be really naive to think that these NBA players are just, at, after games, just going to go straight home, you know, get a 
long good night of sleep, going to come back the next morning ready to work out. And they're they're not robots, and the culture is not one that is, I would say, a lot of people, if they really knew everything, would be, like, pumped about. Um, We tend to only react to what we see. And for better or for worse, like, that unfortunately is going to be the standard that Jaws held to. And if it means having more strategic social media planning and which he's, he's good at for some of his stuff, but again, it can still be risky um, when he's the ultimately the the one that has it in his hand. Um, But I think that there's a point where I think it's important to realize like this, there's going to be parts of like every one of your favorite players lives that you probably would prefer would be that are different because none of these guys are perfect and so right. I am personally, my stance is I don't mind, like, do your thing, Ja. Like, this is this is you. We're not trying to, like, change you to your core. Right. Just be smarter because that's unfortunately how the game is played. And, yeah, do I want him to I, – I think there's a lot of maturity that still has to happen, and I think it starts – square one is starting with um, how he connects online. And it yeah. – work from there. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I just want to make that point as well. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that very well said. So the, the other thing know, from we, last night that we'll get into that's um, unfortunate is the Brandon Clark injury. He was shooting a free throw, went to get the rebound after a miss seemed to um, it was just one of those injuries that the non-contact is are always worse. It seems than the contact. And he held. He tried to run on on his left leg. It, it wasn't working. He he went down to the floor, and was holding. It looked like at first it was like a knee slash hamstring, but further um, reports indicate that he was leaving the arena about uh, halfway through the second half on a golf cart with his lower leg wrapped up in ice, which um, people have said could be the Achilles area. I know that he went to a Denver hospital to get further tests done after the game. Jenkins did not have any um, updates on it in his post-game press conference. We have not yet seen what it is. Uh, There is fear that it could be an Achilles, which would then put him out. I mean, you look at historically speaking in the last few seasons, you know, a year about uh, to get back to full health and, if that is the case, that is a massive loss for the Grizzlies, not only for this season, but for potentially most of next season as well. So let's hope it's something minor that is uh, can be treated and uh, doesn't have to be this, this prognosis that we're all fearing. But that also just kind of put another exclamation point on how much of a bummer last night was. No, I mean, you know, and this would have been the sort of the, this would have been the the bummer news we would have led with. Um, So, I mean, I'll I'll say the the thing, the one that gives me hope is that this tends, you know, I say old man's, but this tends to be a 29, 29, a 28, 29, 30 year old injury. Uh, Not for, I believe Clark's what, 26, um, 25, 26. So he would be uh, pretty young to have a, this kind of injury, but, um, and so I, we are hopeful, but, you know, honestly, I mean, this is, you know, and I'm Mr. Optimism, but this, uh, really, really has me, um, upset, uh, 
because I think um, if it is an Achilles, it is you are looking at ten to twelve months type recovery. But then you also have, uh, but then almost everybody would say it takes two years to get back to what you were. But then also you would say that all the NBA players that have come back um, from an Achilles, like, I mean, I would say like Duran and, and Clay Thompson and some others are not people who rely on the athleticism that Brandon Clark does that like, obviously Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson are athletic, you know, and, and, but in the sense that they're shooters and they're kind of hoopers. And in that sense, it's like, uh, you know, they're the lack kind of a little bit of a lack of quickness or a lack of, uh, you know, does not affect their game. So we like literally Brandon Clark's ability to jump is his game. Like that is so much of, of what makes him, uh, you know, the kind of are probably our best player off the bench. Like, you know, I mean, Satias is important as a backup point guard, but I always think of our core with him as being that sixth guy uh, with that look of him at four and, you know, him and Jaron is a front court. And, uh, and it's just really sad because I mean, there's a, there's like a strong part of me last night that was thinking like we might've seen the last, like that might've been the last time we see Brandon Clark in a Grizzlies Jersey. And, and then like the whole rest of the second half, they were showing all these clips of on commercials of Brandon Clark dunking it. And I was getting sad because I mean, at this point, uh, because of the way our window works and, and honestly what our, our offense, because we were already struggling with athleticism this year because uh, Zaire has not really worked like we thought. Um, we, we got rid of DeAnthony Melton. We kind of, all our draft picks tended to be, uh, other than Kenny Chandler, more skill um, players and than athletes. And, you know, I just don't know. And with, what we're paying him, I mean, it just seems like it's going to be hard to keep him on a roster um, for the next couple of years without trading him. And then there's just the big fear of, of uh, you know, is he going to come back and be what he was? Because that is like so much of what he is, is being that lob threat, being able to protect the rim uh, with his positioning and, and jumping ability. So, I mean, it's, it's really upsetting. I mean, it made me think, um, you know, as much as everybody's been trying to put Dylan in trades, um, I mean, it could be things like us giving up picks to get off of the Brandon uh, contract coming up or throwing him in a contract to make money work. Um, so in that sense, it's really sad. And so I'm hoping that you are listening to this podcast being like, stop being sad, John. We found out it, it actually is a minor thing. It's only going to be like a month long injury. But um, but it was a really it's really upsetting because I think it doesn't just it's a bummer enough to make for this year, but it really affects next year. And honestly, it affects some team building stuff. Oh yeah. It's, it's it. Brandon Clark. If you watched the series last year with Minnesota, like he and Desmond Bain were two of the probably three or four guys that really won you that series. And going into this playoff run, when you sacrifice some, current functional depth for uh, future building uh, and you draft a bunch of rookies like you gotta have the guys that you know you can rely on so looking even less you know a year from now which is fair to do and we should but looking just ahead to the next month and a half going into the playoffs you're now down one more guy that you knew you could rely on 
And the Zaire piece I was going to get to next because he's been spending the last three weeks with the hustle and a few minutes of garbage time in in a game uh, recently. But that's another guy that you could potentially be down. And I'm hoping that the Zaire piece, he has some sort of a bounce back. I'm a little worried there. But the, the Brandon Clark piece, let's just focus on this year. I mean, that... That really takes a hit, and and luckily we have a guy like Xavier Tillman who's come in and actually played well, but those two guys do different things on the floor, so you're really not going to be, you don't have a direct backfill for, for Clark, and I mean, the cultural piece can't be understated either, like he's, yeah. he's very important to the morale of the group, he brings, the his style of play brings an energy that can provide life when starters are moving slow, when people aren't playing like themselves, and we're going to really miss it uh, on the floor. I presume for the rest of the season, and hopefully it's not beyond that. So yeah, yeah. That, no, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think he gives us a huge different look on the uh, on as a lob threat, and we don't really have that now because you know. Um, uh, Tillman, like, you know, Tillman coming in and Tillman's been great, uh, filling in for Adams, but he's, he's a similar style to Adams. Like we don't like what makes us great is we have, we throw that different look in with, with Clark, we can be more flexible, uh, you know, when, when different teams, uh, play against us in the playoffs, we can flex and then go more Clark Jaron and, and all that stuff is lost. And like I said, I mean, I don't, we're, we're now running out of, um, players, who can roll to the basket in a way that gives jaw space um, and Tyus space, honestly. Um, you know, I mean, I think a lot of last nights and maybe we'll eventually get to actually talk about basketball, but uh, you know, I think a lot of everybody's freak out about the fourth quarter. I mean, a lot of it was, we didn't have Brandon and, yep. and it just messed everything up and we were throwing in weird combinations and playing Dylan at the floor and a bunch of stuff we weren't, we hadn't practiced um, but it just it stinks because like when people aren't worried about Jaw throwing a pass over the top to somebody, um, you know it 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 hurts our spacing and and he's just a huge and that's what it just you know it's it's a huge bummer for all those things and obviously just you know he's a you know I love Brandon he's a great guy I just hate it um, and uh, you know coming back from this uh, if it's uh, you know if it's what we fear it's going to be a really really hard road to recovery um, and, and all those things and like I'd love nothing more. Uh, like you said, for it to be minor. And if it's a major thing, you know, I'd love nothing more to be able to be excited when he does eventually come back. I just like, as a realistic person, I'm just like, we're not like, we're not in a place where we can pay somebody like pay a bench guy that much to, for two months of rehab. Um, so the whole thing is just really sad. And or two hard. years of rehab. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, Steven Adams is set to return, uh, that the coaches said that they expected it to be on this road trip. I would hope that it is the next game tomorrow night <laughs> yes. against the Clippers. Um, yes. Not only with the Brandon Clark injury, but just the overall team play. We need Steven Adams. It's more clear than yeah. ever. And this hopefully is something where the, the staff was being very conservative because you and I both thought um, that it could be, it would be very soon after the All Star game. Maybe not the first game, but I, I thought maybe it would be the Nuggets game at home after after All Star Star uh, ended. Um, but we need Steven. And then finally, we alluded to it earlier, but there was a big ESPN profile written up on Dylan Brooks 
and it was the least surprising article I've read this year about any Grizzlies player. Um, Dylan just going in to when the reporter initially introduced himself, one of my favorite nuggets in is, you know, Dylan, one of the very first things he said was, well, you're about to get some stuff. So I'm sure that reporter was very excited. Um, the Draymond qu- quotes have been the, the the lead, if you will, where Dylan's just very honest. He does not like Draymond. He does not like the Warriors. This is not news to any Grizzlies fans. I think that, of course, as somebody who is wary of the talk or and how you need to back up the talk before you talk more, like this was just more talk, I will say kind of similar to some of the other news reports recently, like this is... This reporter was following Dylan around about like a month ago. So it's not like he's been, this is a recent thing. Like Dylan, these quotes were, were stated a long time ago. So this is nothing new. Um, I do think it, it continues to put a target on the back. But overall, I'm not telling it, Grizzlies fans how to feel. I felt actually more encouraged after the profile than I did before the profile, just about Dylan, because there were some stats in there that he is has guarded the most amount of minutes of All-Stars out of anybody in the entire league. And when you look at the list of All-Stars, it spans from 6'10 guys, 6'10 power forwards, to you know 6'2 point guards. And there's just not a lot of guys who can do that. And Dylan's whole, th- like, there's a great anecdote about how he played when we were playing the Jazz. He went out to contest, like, a, a, like the last three seconds uh, of the game, Jordan Clarkson just gra- had the ball passed to him in the corner and just took a, a three just at the very end of the game, but Dylan sprinted out to contest, and the ball clanked off the rim, and Dylan celebrated, even though the Grizzlies were up by like 10 or whatever at the end of the game, and it's because if Jordan Clarkson had made that three, it would have put him above his season average, and Dylan prides himself on holding guys to below their average. And, of course, so Jordan Clarkson ended up with 20. His average is 21 throughout the season. And you just love having a guy like that. We, we, I have concerns over his offensive game. This is a good time to be talking about it, though, because he seemed to have potentially bounced back a little bit in the, both the Rockets and then the Nuggets game last night. He was actually making some shots and didn't take too many. But... Um, you know, guys hate Dylan Brooks, and it's good to have a guy who's going to do the dirty work. Um, it also was encouraging after – this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you chime in, Kraft. But it was also encouraging after the game. Jamal Murray was the one who got interviewed on ESPN, um, and he and Dylan were chirping the entire game. Grand, they're both Canadians. You know, they have that yeah. um, shared background there. But Jamal was just saying, you know, it was all fun. Like, it was all – on the floor, just guys competing. So, yeah, you have the Donovan Mitchell example, which is really frustrating because you're like, Dylan, this is just not helping the team win. But then you also have the edge against the top Western Conference team and Dylan guarding a player who plays point guard for them, by the way, and they're they're just enjoying competing. So that was a story that I felt like actually ended up adding more than it gave me concern about Dylan Brooks. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, obviously – I've always been more of the pro Dylan guy. Um, I think, you know, he is the obvious spot to upgrade uh, looking forward potentially, you know, if we're trying to find another like uh, core piece, but at the same time, I do think there's a heartbeat to him. Um, and, and I actually think, and I've been encouraged 
uh, you know, honestly, since the All-Star break, I mean, I think I was hearing like Harrington or somebody was saying, you know, he's actually shooting like 38% since the All-Star break. So I feel uh, from three. So I feel, you know, good about him. I still think he's a really good player to have in a playoffs. I think he's essential to what we do. And I'm really looking forward to actually maybe, well, and it won't be Sunday, unfortunately, uh, having our starting five back and seeing them all together. And so, because this is the negative about Dylan, um, is, you know, like he, and I get it. He complained about it and he said it was nothing last night and it shouldn't have deserved a double technical. And that's, that could be true, but you also still got 15 technicals before that. And so, yeah. So part of the other news is that Dylan's going to be suspended for the Clippers game, the game where we play a team with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, uh, he's going to be suspended for it. And and now, you know, every third technical the rest of the way, he's going to be suspended. Fortunately, it starts over in the playoffs. But, uh, but you know, I, I'm, you know, I would hope that this is the only game he's going to be suspended for technicals, that he won't get three more with, like, the 20 games remaining. Uh, but that is, you know, I mean, that is, and that continues to be the one main, the only thing that I care about with Dylan, which is decision-making and those are the things. It's it's the him letting his emotions get the best of him in the wrong time. Um, and and if he's not a long term grizzly, I think that is the reason why is because he makes uh, decisions like getting a double technical at the end of a game that's already been decided, uh, and then missing a game that we really need. So, great quote after the game from Dylan. He said, "The only thing that I like about Draymond is that the NBA changed the rules in the playoffs because of him in regards to technicals." So, that's just a classic <laughs> Dylan nugget there. Um, all right. Classic. Let me get a message here from our sponsors and then we'll get into the actual basketball um, from DraftKings. NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat, same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, place the same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. P-N. Um, all right, the Grizzlies, we usually did do this at the top, but uh, we had some important things to get to there. But the Grizzlies are 38-24. and 24. They're second in the Western Conference still. Only one game up on the, on the Kings, but they're still one game up. They're fifth overall in the league. 113.5 is their offensive rating. That's good for 17th in the league. That's per NBA.com. Important nugget there. 109.4. A, a little higher. That's right. 109.4 is their defensive rating. That's second in the league. Um, they are fourth in 4.0 net rating, which is fourth in the NBA. And then per cleaning the glass point differential, they are five at a 5.4, which is good for third overall in the NBA. Okay, John, now having seen um, a few games back from the All-Star game, what's your general feeling about how the team is actually playing on the floor? Okay. Yeah. On the floor. So overall, I've been very encouraged uh, by the way they played. I think we've, we've seen glimpses of kind of our old selves and by old selves, honestly, I mean, not just earlier this year, but really the way uh, when we peaked kind of last year uh, that we've seen glimpses of that. And that's been really exciting. Um, 
And, you know, mainly just uh, the really big thing is just playing like these quarters where teams just don't score. Uh, and, and, and that's been really exciting to see because I think that stuff always translates no matter what. Um, and that's, you know, for all the top of regular season playoffs, like that is going to translate to the playoffs. So I think, uh, so I've been very encouraged. I mean, I, you know, that, uh, we're, you know, second in defense and like pretty much all the, both, you know, all the different stats, uh, both the normal NBA stats and the clean glass that takes that garbage time. I think, uh, you know, I think it shows, I think we're an elite defensive team. I've actually been excited to see like, even like a John Morant, who often people thought of as a weakness in a traffic cone, um, like some stats came out that he actually one-on-one has been a very good defender this year. I still think he gets lost. Like, you know, I mean, I just think he gets a little lazy sometimes on off-ball defense, but uh, and gets beat back door and things like that, or gets hit with screens that he wasn't expecting. But but he's actually been really good. I mean, to the point to where now it's like, oh, man, you know, uh, uh, like with our starter five, I mean, I, I just – I don't know if there are defensive weaknesses in the same way. I do worry about Kennard. So, but, uh, but so that's been good. I think – so the big issue for me um, and, and the, the continued concern is – uh, you know, obviously half-court offense gets hammered, our half-court offense being like 22nd, 23rd, uh, you know, and, and I think obviously our actual NBA offense is 17th. Crazily enough, cleaning the glass when it takes out garbage time, it's more, it hovers between 10 and 12. I actually think that is a better, a more accurate view because I do think we've been so awful <laughs> in our garbage time uh, offensive lineups because of all our rookies. Um that that I actually think we are more I think we were more average to slightly above average offensively and not below you know slightly below average offensively I think that's more accurate uh and so that is still a concern I still look and think we run good stuff but then we miss the shot that we get uh we're not finishing well especially last night against the Nuggets we missed so many shots even in the paint uh so so that but it is still a concern it's you know I mean we can run good stuff but then we got to finish the play. Um, but the biggest, you know, the, the, honestly, the biggest issue for me so far has been, it just feels like we struggle in the clutch. And that's obviously the biggest looking to the playoffs. That has been my biggest concern is we are, um, in fourth quarters, we are struggling. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think there's a lot of reasons that we can get into why I'm encouraged and not discouraged by like what the potential is there. But, uh, but that is seemingly close games, uh, like we end up, you know, kind of not pulling them out. And then oftentimes games where we're ahead, they kind of come back in with lesser teams. They get kind of close to us in fourth quarter sometimes or make more of games than they should. And so that's, so that's the thing that's hanging out there that it's like, I want to see us, um, and we did it a couple times, but I, I like, you know, I want to see us finish close games because that's something we've really struggled with. Well, especially on the road. And that's the biggest thing to me is we've really struggled on the road in fourth quarters. Uh, that's been our big downfall. And that's really been the, that, that way all year. And that's been a little bit of a difference from last year. Um, again, I think there's a lot of just like normal, like I just think the road's harder this year. Uh, I think home crowds are back. We're post COVID and all those sorts of things. I think our team's a little younger um, and so our role players and bench players play worse on the road, like, like is traditionally the case, but that's the big, so, but that's the big, that's the big, you know, red alert concern. People are talking about all sorts of other things. People are criticizing Jenkins and I might, we might be able to talk about that in a minute, how stupid I think that is. But, uh, but that's the big thing for me is, uh, fourth quarters. Yeah, I totally agree. I had fourth quarters 
written down as my like number one takeaway from the last five games after All Star break. I think you really saw it um, at, in the Philly game, where you know going into a pretty um, hostile environment, which Philadelphia always is. You're you're winning basically from the almost from the jump the whole time, and then you have Embiid and Harden. Um, basically win that game for the Sixers along with the uh, few turnovers down the stretch as well and just some lack of shot baking, lack of offense. And that is 100% a concern. But here's the deal. I think that we are going to be a brand new team when Steven Adams comes back. And this is this point has been belabored. But I looked back, he has missed 16 out of the 62 games that the Grizzlies have played thus far, that is 25%. And I, I feel like people have that, that narrative has, it came and went. And now this is sort of how we're evaluating the team. We, and here's, here's what's frustrating to me. I get, I get that Steven Adams shouldn't be this important to the Grizzlies success. In an ideal world, he wouldn't be. But I, I've kind of taken a whole like 180 on this. Like, look at the Bucks. Do you think that they would have like the same level of concern, and we would be evaluating the Bucks the same way if they were missing Brook Lopez for 25 percent of their season, and they had to rely on guys like Bobby Portis to fill in their center minutes for this stretch, like the. Part of the Bucks' success is is having these X factors like Brooke Lopez, who can come in and do a lot of these little things. And they're, Brooke Lopez and Stephen Adams aren't the same player, but I think that they occupy a similar space where they're like probably the fourth or fifth most important piece of their team. And without them, you lose a core part of their identity and how they play the game. Like I think it is okay that Stephen Adams is this important to the Grizzlies. The front office knew that, and that's why they went and got yeah. a guy like Steven Adams. Like, why he's he's a member of the team. Like, what do you mean right. he sh- it, he shouldn't be this important? That we have him on the team. Like, I just don't get it. And yeah, I don't, the, I, don't, the way- I don't get that. That's like yeah. The, the the statement that annoys me the most is, man, they're really relying on Adams, and that just says a lot about the Grizzlies. Yeah, no, of course they are. That's why they went and got him. Like he, every player who you have in this rotation is important. And yeah, does he have like potential red flags in the postseason? Yes, of course. Like, but there's more, like you have to get to a specific st- like part of the season where you are in a position to even be in the playoffs. Like that's, that's, I don't know. I, I've, right. I've gotten pretty upset about this in the last few games when I've seen it all over Twitter and everything, and I'm so ready to have him back, not because I think that he is going to solve all the issues. That is not, like, Stephen mm-hmm. Adams does not solve every issue, but what I do think he helps is in the half court, um, in the clutch, when you look at the, a game like the Cleveland game uh, at home, which, in my opinion, still is probably the best uh, win so far of the season or the most exciting game of the season, you have a John, like, yes, Stephen Adams had the putback that ended up being the game winner, but you look a couple plays before that, Stephen Adams cleared out just six inches of space, which allowed a guy like John Morant, as skilled as he is, to get to the rim. And when you don't have Stephen Adams, that space is not there. 
for yeah. Ja to operate. And I, that is a core part of our offense. I th- think it still should be. If you have a guy like John Morant who can get to the rim at will, you need that extra six inches is essential for him. And you also look at all the rebounding. Like I, I think the shooting numbers have completely been skewed by the fact that we don't have a guy like Steven Adams who can get in there and provide a few extra possessions and second chance points and putbacks and things like that. Like his screening is, I mean, just, just follow Steven Adams stats on Twitter and you'll be reminded about this every day. Great, great follow. Um, but that's, that's the core of this is that we've missed Steven Adams for 25% of our games now. And we have not been whole. And, we won't see it on on in the Clippers game because, like you said, Dylan will be suspended. But I'm so ready to have more than 11 games of a sample size with our um, five starters, and I think that what he brings on the court um, and off it, frankly, is yeah. is going to be much needed uh, for this Grizzlies team down the stretch. And I I just I can't wait to have him back. Yeah, and not, not to mention just like what it does with Jaron, making Jaron uh, this unbelievable weak side help defender. And, uh, you know, and freeing him up from some physical stuff to be able to do more offensive. I mean, it just, it, it's a huge deal. Um, and, you know, I mean, to me, that's the same. I mean, I get annoying people are like, I mean, if, you know, if we're a flawed team if we rely so heavily on Jared for our defense. I'm like, well, no, that's why we have Jared. Like, that's why he started the same way. Right. Like, you know, like that's, you know, like it's the same way we rely on jaw to like run our offense. Like it just, that's the way, unfortunately, you know, for basketball, I mean, and I feel like people get this with football that the, you know they see the how important the quarterback is, but in basketball, one of the differences is there's actually more there. There's a lot of moving parts, and they're all really important. And when you take out one, it really throws some stuff. And and I think that's what's happened. I think, and again, you know, our three point shooting, uh, those offensive rebound kickouts um, that we just haven't been getting, we're going to get now. You know, and and just there's just a lot of stuff that obviously I think our offense is just way better and. So I look forward a lot to having him. And again, we've had our starting five for 11 games. <laughs> for 11 games the whole year we've gotten to, gotten to see our starting five. And so I think, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about, about getting him back and everything he brings um, for sure. And I'm hoping that will, again, help our clutch stuff. And, that's, and that actually brings me to another thing that I was frustrated with, uh, like seeing last night. And I get it. I, like it was frust- – it's frustrating being up early uh, at Denver – and to just get hit by the this nugget tsunami at the beginning of the fourth quarter and towards the end when Jamal Murray just kind of goes off. And I, I get it. It's upsetting. But that's where part of me I want to like back up. Okay, we blew this team out six days ago. Uh, so remember that. Uh, secondly, uh, it was very obvious coming out of the half, everybody – competitions, you know, done. We're taking a break for a minute. Oh crap. Our best friend might be like his career could be done with, with Brandon Clark injury. Um, and you could tell because one of the big things that happened is when we came out, Dylan totally just, uh, completely lost Murray, like just didn't close out, gave him a wide open three pretty early in the third quarter uh, which to me was very undylan like but also like unfortunately got Jamal Murray going uh, for the next uh, few minutes. But then – so you had that. But then you, we gave up like three or four offensive rebounds that we hadn't been giving up in the first half. It just felt like we were out of it. And then they kind of made a little run and it kind of got closer. And then, you know, we got hammered in the, in the fourth quarter minutes when we were resting jaw, when we didn't have Brandon in his normal play – 
we were so Jaron was having to do some stuff, and then we took Jaw and Jaron out for a couple minutes, which is kind of like the big like on Twitter. This was a big like uh, from I think a lot of the smart Grizz Twitter people that I follow. They were just so upset about these two minutes, and then there's this entire you know I'll say it terrible Twitter spaces afterwards about frustration with Jenkins, how he's a robot. They, they were, everyone was so upset about his quote that was, we played Jaron 31 minutes. That's what we were looking to do. We needed to sit him. And, and I get it. We want to win the game. Like we want to beat the Nuggets. But at the end of the day, that game last night does not matter in the big scheme of things. It matters in the process because I love the regular season and I want to win all the games. But in the, but in the big scheme of things, Playing, like, when I look and I see that he had to play Jamal Murray 39 minutes last night, and he played Jaron 31, he played Jaw 33, and he played Jokic 36, and that's how he's playing them. Well, guess what? If we get to a Western Conference Finals with them, having to play even more minutes, like them playing 40 minutes, and we played 30 minutes all regular season, and now we're just now upping our minutes, we are going to have a huge advantage against an older team. And I just feel like people lose sight of, like, like there was one game we played Jaron and Jaw like 40 minutes, and that was that game coming off that huge losing streak. We needed the win, and Jenkins, as the coach who knows the team, because he's not a robot, kept them in because he knew we got we have to win this game. Like, we just cannot lose this game. We can lose last night's game. Like, it's fine. We're still the two seed. I know the Kings are a little closer. But the, the rest of this season is about getting right, you know, with all the stuff that we talked about for the first like 45 minutes of this podcast, getting right and holding on to the two seed because it looks like going – like it looks like we're in the right side of the bracket. In fact, I would argue we don't want to be the one seed possibly uh, if you want to look at it. I mean I think we'll feel that if we're in game seven with the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. We'll be like, I wish we were the one seed. But – but I just think I just want people to get perspective that that like it's a good thing that our organization is saying we don't want to play our guys 40 minutes in a regular season game, a game where we're not favored, a game where we're playing an awesome team at their place uh, that we're not going to kill our guys. By the way, Jaw was playing with a face mask because he like broke his nose. So maybe resting him a little bit extra in the fourth quarter is maybe a smart idea. Like I, I'd rather, you know, I don't want jaw having more injuries, you know? And so I guess I just, it frustrates me because I think a lot of people uh, did that. And then a lot of people just talked about us being not a serious team and stuff like that. And I'm just like, what do y'all like? No, in fact, resting Jaron and jaw in the fourth quarter, it was annoying. And I wish that the rotations wouldn't have been better, but one Brandon Clark got injured. So we were really scrambling um, and because we don't have Adams or Clark now. But two, no, we are a serious playoff team, and that's why we're only playing Jaron 31 minutes. Sorry. That was like a rant that probably was unnecessary, but I got frustrated about it. Uh, if you look also, Nuggets, uh, before last night, 28-4 and four at home. Like, you have to go into this game expecting – that a lot of things have to go exactly right for you to win this because that's what it's taken to beat Denver at home. And like you said, a few nights earlier, 
we played this exact same team. Granted, you know, they sure they were without Aaron Gordon, but like, sorry, that we were we showed to me we showed that we can also beat them with Aaron Gordon if you watch the first half of that of that of the game yeah. last night. And what's encouraging to me is that there is no team in the league that I feel if you roll the ball out with these two teams that the Grizzlies can't beat. And even Boston, like we've we had uh, a very competitive game without a lot of our guys against Boston at home that came down to the wire. And then when we played them on that Super Bowl Sunday, you know, they shot the lights out. Like, sure, no. maybe Boston is the one team where I really don't feel like we are going to be favored in a series or have a chance against no. them. And even then, I think we would push Boston to at least six, no. if not seven. And we won't have to worry about that <laughs> until the NBA Finals, no. uh, potentially. No. So that's where I'm, I'm, I'm just not... I'm not concerned. I'm not freaking out, like you said, about rotations and minutes because I trust that the organization has the playoffs in mind with just about every decision that they're making. And you cannot tell me that without Adams and without Clark that they should have gone out and basically tried to play Jaron the entire second half um, Mm -hmm. for a game that they uh, were – you know, there was an 88 or whatever percent chance that they weren't going to win because there's uh, Denver is, is that record at home. So it's not like right. you're you're going out and you have two more games too that you are very winnable looking ahead in right. this race. Right? So and and like and, and and part of it is and we tend to I mean and I, and I do I mean I think the fourth quarter is winning time. We just have talked about our fourth quarter struggles, but like one of the things we did was they they started cold and we missed Santiago Dama missed three wide open threes in the first half. We, like in the third quarter, when the Nuggets were bringing their energy, we went one for two from the free throw line, three straight possessions. So instead of scoring six points, we only scored three points. Like, there are things that we could do better. Um, And honestly, we probably should have been up by more than eight at halftime. Um, And that was part of the problems because they weren't hitting and we weren't up enough. For, for how for for how they were missing some shots and and so I just say that like you know I mean for us the strategy when we when, when it gets deep in the playoffs like this yeah like I will be freaking out and coming on here and yelling at Jenkins if we had some of the weird like all bench lineups or no jaw Jaron Bane lineups out there in the fourth quarter of a playoff game yeah like I'll freak out if that's the case but not in a regular season. Um, game against a really really good opponent it's just I don't I, I just it's very weird and I feel like it it speaks more to fans just kind of angst about honestly all the off-court stuff we spent most of the podcast talking about yeah and another thing I'll say is would you rather us go by the load management model where you don't even have Jaron playing period in a game like this because there are a bunch of other teams who are using that as their mo instead of you know, continuing to play their guys in each game and, uh, you know, preserving the rhythm of that. Um, It probably reduces risk of injury in the long run, having very consistent schedules. I mean, we're about to play a team like the Clippers, who you look at their struggles recently, and, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the way that they, I mean, the, the ages are completely different and so I don't think it's like an – I think it's sort of apples to oranges. But I would rather the Grizzlies have like a, a night-to-night minutes quote-unquote restriction. It's not a complete restriction, as you mentioned earlier, in a game where we need to win. Like Jenkins has shown, he's going to try to win. Um, 
but that's another thing. I just think that we've taken a – I think fans would freak out less in a weird way if we didn't play our guys at all rather than just play them um, a normal amount of minutes, which, again, looking ahead to the playoffs, we have to adjust. We have to adjust our expectations, and we have to we have to adjust how we're looking at these night-to-night games because if you ask uh, – if you did a poll of 100 Grizzlies fans and you said, here's the situation – do you expect to win or do you expect to lose? Like my guess would be like over probably 70% of people going into this game against Denver, knowing all of the data about their home record versus our away record would expect to lose. And that's just something you have. That's part of the NBA regular season. There's 82 games. Like you're just, you cannot, you cannot isolate this and treat it as something that's like a larger uh, problem in my opinion tonight. Like there's other things that we can isolate and build up evidence. And I'm not saying Jenkins is a perfect coach either, but I totally agree. Like the minutes did not bother me last night. I don't believe also that that's the reason we lost. Um, no. Overall. So. Yeah. All right. Um. Should we get into the schedule ahead? Um, sure. We we both. We both had a an off the record last ten games prediction, or excuse me, next ten games prediction of six and four. Technically, that ten games started uh, with the Rockets, and so we are one and one so far in these ten games. And so the rest of the way, we are basically predicting five and three to finish out this stretch. And I'll go ahead and, and read the next eight games on that tomorrow night playing against the Clippers in LA Tuesday night playing the Lakers in LA then we're home on March 9th against the Warriors and we also are going to be playing the Mavericks in sort of like a a back-to-back except one's home on March 11th and one's away uh, on the next Monday March 13th so that's five games and then the last three in this set are at Miami at San Antonio, and then home again against the Warriors. And so an interesting stretch here. Um, technically, strength of schedule for the Grizzlies was pretty low if you look at the entirety of the rest of the schedule, but it's pretty it's front-loaded in terms of the yeah. teams that are going to be difficult, including the Nuggets game last night. But, I mean, Laker, or excuse me, Clippers, Warriors, Mavericks in particular – like those teams right now are still, you know, they're oscillating depending on the night just because the West is so tight. But those are three teams that you need to watch out for moving forward and could very well be matchups for the Grizzlies either the, in the first or the second round, um, depending on how the West shakes out. So what are you feeling about these these next eight games as we look ahead? Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, it is kind of like, I mean, as far as like for us in the seed, like to me, if we can get out of these eight games and be the two seeds still, or even be tied with the Kings, I think we're looking really good because that next 10 game stretch uh, is very light. It's, it's, it's definitely a get right 10 game stretch um, that we haven't had in a while. Um, you know, and, and again, like, you know, I mean, again, I'll rant, but like looking at this, this is again, why it's like, I, I would have been freaking out if we'd played John Jaron 40 minutes last night, um, looking at this stretch and like, we're playing every other day, very little rest. Um, and, uh, and so this is a big, you know, and, and I think I will say, fortunately, we get to play a lot of these teams at home, uh, where we've been excellent. And so that's why that I think that's probably why you also went six and four, um, because I do feel like we're strong at home. Um, I feel like, and also feel like a team like the Warriors, like we owe them. Um, we're going to go in with all the 
you know, with all the momentum to beat them, I think. Um, and, and obviously the Mavs too. So, so I think, so some good games, um, you know, I, I thought that this Clippers game and we'll see, um, you know, I think if we're down Adams and Brooks and Brandon Clark, uh, winning at Clippers is going to be a tough ask. Uh, hopefully we're getting Adams back. Um, but not having Dylan is definitely affect is going to affect the Clippers game. I think I counted that as one of the four losses, but, uh, but definitely we need to, uh, at least go one on one here in LA. I think be either win either at Lakers or at Clippers. Lo- love if we went two and zero. But but you know a tough stretch, a fun stretch, a lot of national TV games. Uh, you know I think uh, I'm, I'm excited to see. It. I think this is kind of the good like hey uh, playoff intensity. Um, you know kind of get ready, and then we have some some easier games uh, coming up to kind of get right before the playoffs. And, that, and that's the hope. The hope is we're not having to stress the last 10 and 11 games to, to stay, you know, keep the two seed. Yep, 100%. Right now, like you mentioned, Kings back one game. They seem to <laughs> – they're like the reverse Grizzlies where they just will not – like every single game that they play in is a close game, and they've just like had this clutch performance recently where they've just – I don't know. Um, both two oh, of them. Last night been... they were helped out by. Uh, last night they were helped out by Russell Westbrook, just like I was going to say. Both of the <laughs> most notable games were against the Clippers, uh, who have recently added Russ, and so that has to be factored in as well. But the Suns from there, um, Grizzlies are still up four games on the Suns, and then from the four seed, which are the Suns, down to the. 12 seed you have a just five and a half games or excuse me the 13 seed with the trailblazers you have five and a half games separating all those teams and as we get down to the home stretch you know that's not going to be as significant just because the lack of of games left but we could see major reshuffling night to night and you're going to be wanting to refresh the standings um, after each after each performance um, every night. So it's going to be, uh, I still think if I were to bet, like the Grizzlies have still above a 50% chance uh, of keeping the two seed. Um, based on two, the, the Kings schedule is just, it's going to get a little bit tougher for them looking forward and, um, you know, we, we still just need to take care of the low-hanging fruit, and I'd love to finish out this road trip at 2-2 two and two at the minimum. So, um, And the, the Lakers are going to be without LeBron as well, so that probably takes them out of it to a certain extent. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really intriguing looking ahead, and we will be we will be uh, have our finger on the pulse for you. And really quick, some breaking – Breaking news live on the pod, which isn't actually breaking news, but uh, Shams and, and Woj both having uh, a statement from the uh, NBA spokesman, Mike Bass, saying we are aware of a social media post involving John Morant and are investigating. So, yeah, that's all we have right now at the time of this recording. Um, John, any, or excuse me, John, any final thoughts? No, I mean, I think that's kind of it. I mean, I think... Um... There's just a lot of stuff going on with the Grizzlies right now, and I, I hope people aren't getting too, um, you know, carried away with their despair um, at things and try to remember, like, we are actually – we actually have been playing well. Um, we did get beat last night by a good team, uh, by an excellent team, honestly, um, and an excellent player. 
And uh, but I think you know I I feel like there's a lot of reason for positivity, and you know and, and even like last night's game, you look and Jaron was plus three, and so in the playoffs, you think oh we'll we'll play him seven eight more minutes, um, and we'll have Stephen Adams, and and I think those you you start to to feel a little better about our chances you know because again a seven game series you just, you got to win just win them at home and then all you got to do is win one on the road against the nuggets and then and everybody else if we can hang on to the two seed everybody else we play is going to be they got to beat us once at home so you know i think uh, i think there's still good things i think we're not where we need to be i'd like to see us play better in the fourth quarter and stuff but I, but i think um i still you know have very good uh, positive you know optimism for the playoffs and for the rest of the season we completely buried the lead too because folks Conchar is back. Yeah, that'll be my final <laughs> my final statement on this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we will be back with you uh, next week, then, uh, and we will also be, um, you know, building out our plan for the playoffs as they are are nearing. Because we want to be um, be talking with you as much as possible throughout that run um so yeah thanks for joining us uh, for craft i'm will we will talk to you next week then